Let's get started with this series on the book of Revelation. Now, I feel like the most relevant, relevant, the most relevant thing I could do uh, is read to you from my journal uh, a dream I had back in 2010. Okay, so uh, I fell asleep in our family room chair last Sunday. And an angel came to me in a dream and told me, I will tell you what must soon take place that will end all misery in the land. At once, I was taken to a large hill where I could see a city on a north coast. There was wailing in the city because their king had left for a city on a southern beach. I saw the king receive two crowns, While in the southern city, the people on the north coast were very bitter because of the crowns. Then I looked back to the northern city and saw great rejoicing because the king returned. I saw a huge multitude gather near the water on the north coast to celebrate a crown the king was given for that city. Then I looked again to the northern city in the 21st year and saw great anger on a field that was shaped like a diamond. A great sign fell from above the field, for the people no longer had a name. Then I saw eight statues with wings holding vehicles rise up on the field. They brought great sadness and anger to the people of the northern coast. Again I looked to the north and saw another field with ten stripes. The words factory of sadness were written near the field. But there was great rejoicing at the field because a baker was baking delicious brownies. There was great hope throughout the city because of the brownies the baker would bake every Sunday. In the 22nd year, in the second month, I saw the baker slaughter a mighty goat whose number was one and two. You guys making fun of my dream? (laughs) There was great celebration in the northern city and a crowd no one could count. People from all nations came to feast on the goat the baker had slaughtered. (coughs) Now, yeah, don't I wish. Sadly, uh, I didn't really have that dream. If I did, you could all like, you know, run and place your bets. Um, but let's, let's walk through it. Let's walk through it. So um, the, uh, the king was who? LeBron James. And the southern city is Miami. And the crowns were his championships there. What's the, what's the land? Cleveland. And that's also the city on the north coast. Um, and, and so you can, with just a base knowledge of Cleveland sports, you can interpret those things fairly easily. And then what's this, the, the field like a diamond? Baseball, progressive field. And then uh, what was the sign that fell? What, what happened there? The Indians, the logo, they lost their name. And then what were the statues with wings and vehicles? The guardians. And then people, you know, were... Mixed emotions, some happy, some sad over that. And then obviously the Baker, Baker Mayfield, the Brownies, the Browns. And the implications are what? Super Bowl, what year? This coming, right? In, in, in the 22nd year of 2022, on February the second month, who's the GOAT? 
Tom Brady, right? I was reading this to my 16-year-old, um, and he just, as soon as I got to that part, he's like, ain't no way that's happening. <laughs> but my point is that you could, in our context, fairly easily follow, right, with a base knowledge of Cleveland sports, you could, you could be, oh, that's that, that's that. It, it's fairly simple. Now, if I really had that dream, we would be pretty excited. Like, that would mean a lot to us. So, let's just say that in about, you know, five minutes or so, there is a massive cataclysmic earthquake that just annihilates and buries all of us. Real downer, right? Um, and then, uh, so, so this whole area is buried for 2,000 years. And in, uh, let's say, in the year 4021, okay, 2,000 years from now, when the Latvian Empire, is, you know, Latvia has conquered the world, and, and um, they're the greatest empire the world has ever known, and they're excavating the old world, and they uncover this journal. And they look through it, and they start reading it, and they're like, okay, this is going to end misery in the land. And, and there's a king, and there's, there's a northern city, and a, and a southern city, and, and a field like a diamond, and statues, and a baker, and brownies. And can you imagine what they would come up with as they try to interpret that dream? And my guess is that, you know, as our, the, the Latvian Empire, the greatest empire the world has ever known, Everything's about them and everything's for them. They're a great empire, and so they would naturally assume that any relevant global prophecy about ending misery would be relevant to them because they're the greatest empire the world has ever known, so surely any major prophecy would be relevant to them in their time. And, and so, you know, they have their time machine, and they come back, and they're talking with you about it, and they're like, the king, that's our in 4020. That, that's the, you're like, no, that's an athlete named LeBron James. Oh, no, it's, it's, it's this, and then the, the, the brownies and the, the statues, they're this. Like, they would naturally try to make things relevant to them. And you would be like, no, no that, totally that's for us. Like, like that is that. So, so keep that in mind as we look through Revelation. And remember that um, this was a book, last book of the Bible. It's written in, in prophetic, apocalyptic, symbolic language. And, and it's written to, first and foremost, a group of Christians who were going through very difficult times with symbolism that many of them would have easily understood. And you can't help but have that in the back of your mind as we talk about the possibilities of the book of Revelation. So, um, I'm going to today... So every year at Polaris, or most years, this is like I've been, I think, senior pastor for 12 years now, and, and a part of Polaris since the very beginning for 22 years, and, and I almost always pick a book, in the, usually in the fall, and just kind of walk through it until I get bored with it. So that's my until I get bored or you get bored sermon series. And I decided this year to just go with the book of Revelation. I have never in 22 years done an actual series uh, uh, surrounding Revelation because it's so mysterious and, and there's just lots of possibilities. But that's what I'm going to do. So, so uh, today's going to be a lot of like introductory stuff and it's going to be clunky. 
Just to let you know ahead of time, it's going to be clunky. And, and here's what I want. Like, this is my hope for the series. Um, I would love for you to follow along. Uh, most of the series I'll probably just read right out of my Bible and invite you to read out of yours. I may even break out my reading glasses. I think it might be time for that as I do that. So you guys can laugh amongst yourself as I've bad-mouthed and made fun of all you older folks since I was 22 and started here for needing that. That is becoming apparent in my life. Um, that'll be our approach, and I'm saying that because then what I hope you'll do is kind of circle back, especially to this message, because I think as I go through this intro stuff, some of you are, are like, you're, you're Revelation apocalyptic junkies, and you're familiar with the stuff, but others of you have never touched it, and so you might be like, what's he talking about for some of this, and then after you followed along for a little bit, you'll go back and check it again, and it'll start to make more sense, so you might need to circle back for some of this um, um, some of this material, like a, you know, a movie that you watch, like Usual Suspects or something like that, where there's a major flip at the end, and then you go back through, and it all starts to you know, put together and whatever. Okay, so let's talk about the um, series rules. Okay, I have some rules for this sermon series that I will refer to often. Uh, this is important to me. Uh, first of all, these sermons are not meant to be exhaustive. In other words, there's no way that I have, like I'm through, I'm, I'm through writing this week and next week, and I think I'm through verse nine of, so, so two sermons through, through the first nine verses of the book. There's no way that I can possibly be conclusive with interpretations um, or implications or disclaimers for the material that, that I'm going to walk through. So um, uh, let me give you an example. If, if I talk about something maybe having been fulfilled in the first century in the book of Revelation, I won't have time every week to say, now that doesn't mean that God's done with us. That doesn't mean that now we're just living and waiting to die. That doesn't mean that there's not going to be a second coming. So don't do what we all tend to do in our modern Western um, Facebook comment mindset and assume that every little point made is like a conclusive. And well, you didn't mention that, okay, because there's just no way. So series, uh, or the series rules, number one, is I, there's no way I can be conclusive and exhaustive with, or we'll just be doing this literally until Jesus comes. Um, Real-time humor again. All right, number two. <clears throat> this is going to sound bad. <clears throat> we are not anti-Semitic. We are not anti-Semitic. As we work through Revelation, uh, you can't help if you give it fair treatment, but talk about the very real possibility that at least some of Revelation is meant to explain to people God punishing the Jews for rejecting Jesus. Okay, God punishes his children just like we punish our children because we love them and we want to bring them along. God has never, as far as I'm concerned, he's never done with his people. The Jews, the Israelites are the chosen people of God, and that's never going to change. And I believe my interpretation of Scripture is that God's plan is never done for them. As Paul says, all Israel will be saved. But there's some language in Revelation that is pretty pointed, um, fairly aggressive toward, um, well, at least one way to interpret it is that it's fairly aggressive 
toward the people that rejected and ultimately called for the crucifixion of Jesus. So as we cover that, I just want to, you know, we're not anti-Semitic. I'm not trying to say that, that, you know, the Jews are evil or God is done with them or anything like that. This was a day and time, punitive moment, potentially, that Revelation talks about, and that'll make more sense through the coming weeks, but I just want to get that out there up front. Rule number three. <clears throat> the only certainty in Revelation is that God wins. Like, that's the ultimate take up, yep, God wins. So what we're going to do with a lot of Revelation, and your experience will depend on your personality taste. Some of you are black and white, um, like for things to be, it's this or it's that, and this is what it is. Um, Revelation is going to open possibilities. Like as we walk through this, I, and, and my personality, I'm completely comfortable with, with living in the realm of possibilities. Could be this, could be this, you decide. Um, I form opinions slowly. I'm happy living in the realm of possibilities. But there are a lot of possibilities. I mean, people have been debating for millennia now. Uh, what some of this symbolism is, and, and it comes down to ultimately kind of take your pick. It could be this or it could be this. Both are, both have, um, um, both are reasonable. Both have possibilities. Both have holes in them. So just understand that, and this is a weird way to introduce a series, you will not end this series with conclusions probably or answers what I'm, I'm not unlocking, this is the best way to say it, I'm not going to unlock the mystery of Revelation for you. I will unlock the possibilities, and there will even be more possibilities. So if that's exasperating for you, sorry, but my real goal is that you know what Revelation says and maybe have some, some, um, uh, some of the groundwork done to decide and, and then ultimately why it's relevant for you. Uh, number four, um, there are many interpretations. These are mine, nothing more. So I can tell you that I've done a lot of groundwork over the years with Revelation. Revelation was the first book of the Bible that I was even remotely interested in back in middle school. Okay, I read it nonstop. I would, every night before bed, read Revelation, which is funny that that's what you would do to calm yourself down to, to sleep. Dragons and, you know, demons and... Um, but these, it, it's, it's one of those things where when you have the microphone and the table, you get to say what's on your mind. And, and some of you have certain backgrounds that might be like, no, that's not. But So that's just my interpretation, nothing more, and, and that's that. So those are my, those are my rules of engagement for, um, for Revelation. So um, Let's move on now. Uh, let me give you an overview for those of you that, that need a refresher or have no idea what Revelation is about. Some of you are like, what the heck are we getting into? Okay? Revelation is, is the last book of the Bible, and it's written with lots of symbolism. And, and so here's how it kind of unfolds. This is a ridiculously fast overview. Um, Revelation opens with a vision of Jesus and his interaction with seven ancient churches. These were actual churches in actual cities that are referenced. We'll talk next week about whether or not uh, they were literal churches or symbolic churches. And Jesus gives them very practical encouragement, advice, and rebukes. That's how it opens. Then we get to see, we get like a peek into the throne room of heaven. And after that, 
there is a scroll opened up with seven seals, and that's when the action starts. Because from there, those seven seals that are open, which opens this, this symbolic scroll, we see the four horsemen, the famous four horsemen of Revelation, like, you know, the pale rider and hell follows with him. For those of you out there that are, are tombstone fans, it was on again last night. Um, so we see the four horsemen of Revelation, we see dragons, we see um, uh, prostitutes, we see 666, Mark of the Beast, um, Armageddon. That kind of language unfolds then until at the very end we get imagery of what seems like, um, like the transition into whatever's next, um, heaven, uh, uh, God's with his people again, there's imagery of like the Garden of Eden, there's the Tree of Life, the River of Life, you know, all kinds of things like that. So that is a ridiculously quick walk through Revelation. Now, let me move on to talk through, um, I'm going to tell you about the four major pathways of interpretations, a, a system of interpretation. People generally who study Revelation land in one of four views of how we're supposed to interpret this really weird book. So here's the, the first view is what's often called the historicist view, and that says that Revelation is, uh, it, it unfolds over time. So the early imagery of Revelation at the beginning of the book is maybe for Christians in the first century, and it unfolds, uh, and, and as history passes, maybe some in our time even, uh, some of the stuff is going to be relevant to us as, as it's the unfolding um, um, symbolism of God's work as he brings things to, to a climax with the second coming of Jesus and the end of the world as we know it. That's the historicist view. Next, we have the futurist view, which says that most of Revelation has yet to take place. It's a book about the end of the world, and the imagery is primarily centered around future events when God makes the transition from this world to the next. Then there is the idealist view. Back up one, please. The idealist view is the one like that I learned in my Bible college, um, and that is that Revelation is, is a timeless, um, it's like spiritual pictures of the timeless battle of good and evil. It almost treats Revelation like myth. Like here are myth a lot, here's like, like myth stories of what it looks like when good battles evil in global empire, from, you know, from global empire to just neighbor against neighbor. This is a picture of, of God and the devil having it out as history unfolds. Okay, that's the idealist view. Then we get to the preterist view, which is, which is really interesting. So this kind of goes back to my journal. Preterist view believe, says that as the Christians in the first century endured unbelievable persecution, um, unbelievable tribulation. The images in the book of Revelation were very relevant to real-time events that they went through, and they would have looked at those events, looked at the prophetic symbolism, and said, oh, God really is in this. So at least they felt like, okay, none of this makes sense. It looks like the world is falling apart. It looks like we picked the wrong side, 
but I see this and I know that God's in control. This is all a part of his un, unveiling of his, of his plan. And it's primarily fulfilled in the first century. Now, for my Baptists out there, for my Pentecostals out there, that sounds like blasphemy. And if you got that background, you'll know what I'm talking about. This view does not say there will be no second coming. It simply says that the depictions in Revelation were primarily concerning events in the first century. Let me give you an example. A little, 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 what do you want to call it? Like just teaser. Um, 666. Very fan. I think everybody's probably heard of 666 and somehow connects it with Satan, demons, whatever. Um, in the first century, that comes from the book of Revelation where it talks about the beast and his number is 666. And, and uh, we'll get into that in a few weeks. But in the ancient world, um, every Christian sitting there in the first church gathering in a cave or house or wherever it was would have seen 666 and immediately made the connection. That's Emperor Nero. Like the letters in his name in Hebrew numerology, and they were numerology freaks back then. The letters in his name were literally 666. Everybody would have known it. They would have known it immediately. And when John talks about this horrible presence in the world that's number is 666, they'd have been like, that's Nero. Now, when I was growing up in the 80s, Visa, anybody remember this? Visa came out with the credit card, the cashless system, and a lot of Christians looked at Visa and somehow found the numerology for 666. Like, there it is, the cashless system. It's the mark of the beast. I'm not owning a credit card. That's, that, there's going to be a day when we... They were convinced that 666 was, was connected to a Visa card. Now, can you imagine... Time machine, transporting back to the first century, telling an ancient Christian, 666, Mark of the Beast, it's this credit card where you can buy stuff without cash. They'd be like, no, 666, is, that's, that's Nero. Well, no, no we, we get these, these credit cards and you buy stuff without using cash. And they're like, okay, sounds terrible. That guy burns Christians at night to light up his courtyard. That's Nero, that's 666. But you see, like, that's the kind of thing that, that we're going to see happen some where we look at these things that were very relevant in the first century that we desperately, and part of that, honestly, is because that's where the money is. Like the sensational, we don't want to read books about stuff that happened in the past. We want to see how we're, our times are going to, and it's what's led, you know, the Hal Lindsey's of the world to make millions by pointing out, here's what that is, and oh no, it wasn't that because it's that. Oh no, it wasn't that because it's that. And just coming up with a new book and a new thing, you'll see that I get fairly frustrated by that over the series. Maybe that's why I'm doing this series, to point some of that out. Um, but that's, the preterist view says that, that a lot of this was relevant to the first century. We can still find meaning in it. But I think it's very interesting, and you're going to see some neat stuff as we talk about that as a possibility. Okay, having said all that, why don't we actually um, 
read some from the book of Revelation. So if you want to follow along, I'm going to start in Revelation 1, and we're going to just talk through the first three verses. All right. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it, And take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. So let's start with that first sentence, or the first half of the first sentence. The revelation from Jesus Christ. um, That's where we get the word for the book, revelation. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Not to be confused with its more popular name, Revelations. Most Christians call it the book of Revelations. It's actually to be like the grammar police my buddy Marcus here is familiar with the grammar police role to correct and serve. Um, <clears throat> Revelation is singular, and that's the title of the book. So Revelation, little known fact, um, Revelation comes from the Greek word apocalypse. Um, and the word apocalypse is now associated with what? The end of the world, the end of times. Apocalypse is never seen as a good thing, right? Zombie apocalypse, whatever it is. Um, Apocalypse has has come to be a synonym for the end of the world and usually like something really bad. Well, the Greek word comes from a a split, um, basically apocalypse, apo, meaning um, un, where we get like opposite or apo, apo. And then calypse or calypso or calypse is um, uh, let me let me make sure that I said that word right. Yeah, calypse, calypse or calypso. Um, it means cover, uncover. So apocalypse literally means reveal. It literally means unveil. So just a you know kind of a flipping of the. Of, it's come to mean end of the world because of revelation, basically. It actually means uncovering. And so what we see here is that, is that Jesus is going to uncover something that he says must soon take place because the time is near. Now, there's this really interesting thing, and I don't really know what to do with it. We're going to see, we'll talk more about this next week, we're going to see strong uh, Trinitarian formulas in Revelation where you see the distinction of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, God Almighty, Holy Spirit, you'll see distinction and yet the oneness. But this is one area, and again, I don't know what to do with it. Um, How can Jesus be God and yet not know things? Yet Jesus is clear, this is from Mark 13, 1, or not Mark 13, 1, it's from Mark 13, but about that day or hour, talking about like this stuff, no one knows Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. And then he says, you know, in Revelation, which God gave him to show his servants. So a revelation that God gave Jesus. Like how, if Jesus is God, how how does he, but, but apparently somehow, 
this stuff is so special and unique uh, that even God the Father has withheld portions of his plan and partially unveiled them to Jesus or fully unveiled. I don't know how it works. It's just interesting to me. But all this to say, Jesus gets this revelation from God about, the, about what things are going to happen soon. Soon relative. We'll talk about that in a minute. And then Jesus sends an angel to John to give him that information. So that's what we have so far about um, Revelation. Now, a couple more quick thoughts. It says, what must soon take place and the time is near. Right? We we read both of those words and both of those phrases in there in the first three verses. This is what soon must take place and the time is near. And when you look at those words, which are um, taxe and angus, um, they speak about a, a very um, a temporal proximity. Like typically you use those words to say like soon as in uh, it's going to be 11.30 and we're going to go to lunch soon. Okay, not soon as in 2,000 years from now. So if you're going to take a straightforward interpretation of what the whole book starts out as, it's John telling his early readers, this is going to happen pretty quick. Like you, right now hearing this, be ready for this. But this is where we'll get into, like this is the book of Revelation. And you could say, like my Baptist friends would say, well, the Bible says the day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. So soon is relative. God's soon isn't our soon. Okay? But then you could go back and say, well, yeah, but the fact that he says it twice in two sentences, he's kind of like, and, and you sound like, what is it, Vizzini from Princess Bride? Where it's like, so I clearly cannot choose this. But... Knowing that he said it twice in one year, I clearly cannot choose. And you're gonna, what you're going to see in Revelation as we go over this stuff is it's like, whatever view you hear, it's like, that's my view. And then somebody over here says, no, this is how you, oh yeah, that's my view. And, and so you're just, even with something as simple as the time is near, does that mean the time is near it could happen in 3000 AD? Or does that mean the time is near it's going to happen for the first readers of Revelation? And we'll talk about all that. Now, one more, one more quick thought here. Did you notice that John, through Jesus, promises a special blessing? He said, blessed are those who hear these words or read these words and pass them along. It's the only place in the Bible we see this. It's one of the reasons I would say, hey, hang with me through this weird series. Because there is a promised blessing for those who study this stuff in this book and pass the word along. So if God says it, why not, why not take advantage of that? So next week we'll come back and we'll go through more. And specifically, what I hope you'll do over the next week is read Revelation 1 through 3. Just kind of familiarize yourself with that. And maybe skim the, the, the chapter headings for the rest of the book. You can take one of those Bibles with you if you want or use software or Bible at home or whatever. But just familiarize yourself with sort of the overall crazy themes in Revelation, just skim it, but then I'd love for you to actually read 
Revelation 1 through 3 should take you like six or seven minutes, maybe a couple times. Read that. Next week, we're going to focus specifically, uh, we're going to spend some extra time focusing on this idea of coming with the clouds and what that might mean, what it means in common Christian thought, and what it may have meant 2,000 years ago. So uh, we're going to do one last song, and I guess I can use that to say um, part of the theme that we get that Revelation crescendos toward is no matter what you're going through, Jesus will come. And this world is heading somewhere. And whether a lot of it was fulfilled back then or not, there's still plenty of promise in Scripture that your existence is heading toward the day when Jesus will come for you. So would you stand for me and let's pray. Father, thank you for the promises in your word. And uh, I pray that, that through these, we could understand that though there's a lot out of our um, realm of understanding, um, and times things seem so far out of our control, uh, you're not surprised by anything. And you remain on your throne. And you will come for us one day. We put our trust in that in Jesus' name. Amen.